Today, back on the show for episode 286, I'm talking to Reed Heidenry of the MR Luxury Group with One Sotheby's International Royalty. Reed's first interview on the show, episode 281, was he and his partner, Marko Goyanovich. They shared how they leveled up their business and closed over a quarter of a billion dollars in luxury homes in 2022 alone. This interview, we have Reed in a one-on-one to learn more about his story. Reed shares his decision to move to Miami almost two decades ago. He came here from St. Louis, Missouri, knowing no one. He talks about the risks, the losses, the wins. He talks about breaking in fast through rentals to get the bills paid and how he transitioned and turned being the rental guy from a limitation into an opportunity to become a premier luxury listing agent in Miami Beach. Reed and I talk about how to create immediate results and long-standing success. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Powered by Breakthrough Luxury Coaching, this podcast was created for real estate agents across the world, coming together, sharing ideas that take their businesses to the next level. Breakthrough Luxury Coaching and Membership provide luxury real estate agents tools and resources that win more business, increase volume and sales prices, and create results. To learn more, go to getstarted.breakthroughluxury.com. And now for the show. I think you know we are on the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And we've got you Woo-hoo. back. Yes, bring it on. So we've got you back on the show because we had you and Marco on, but we were like, wait a minute, you two are so different. There's so much to talk about. We want to learn about each of you. So thanks for coming back on. You're an agent for 15 years. You guys are killing it, but give us more. Yeah, I mean, uh, 15 years in the game, I've seen a lot of things change over the years. So Miami, uh, Miami was a much sleepier town back, back in the day, back in 2006. We didn't have all these cool neighborhoods like Wynwood and the Design District and Edgewater. It was like South Beach and, you know, Coral Gables, Coconut Grove. Our downtown was whatever. So it's it's nice. It's like a, I feel like a proud parent too, watching my city evolve and grow and mature and get a little bit more respect. Is that it? It's your, you became the parent in your city? Yeah. You know, anywhere you live, you kind of, you feel a certain amount of like pride and ownership with it. And, you know, especially when you ambassador it for so long, you know, I've always been in love with Miami. You know, I tell everyone I'm the biggest fan of Miami you'll ever meet. So, you know, and it's genuine. So, you know, to really believe it and live here, invest in it, and then, you know, watch it kind of reach its potential and, you know, continue to grow. It's, it's a very satisfying, you know, kind of proud feeling. So you've been doing this for a long time. As you look back on your career, so everybody, you did, you've done, you did what, how many, a couple hundred million, 300 million last year in 2022? Last year we did 220, but you know, there's a lot of pre-construction projects that don't get counted because they haven't officially closed, but yeah, officially 220. So a few hundred million and you built that up over 15 years. Of course, you've partnered with Marco. Um, and that's also enhanced your brand, enhanced what you can do. But neither one of you could have done this alone. Looking at your story, and everybody, if you want to hear that full story, listen to the episode that we have together. I think it's episode 279. But when we look at your story, why did you get into real estate in the first place? So it's funny. I went to University of Miami. I'm from St. Louis. So... I moved down to to Florida. I, you know, I got I got a letter in the mail. You know, everyone gets these college letters. And so I lived in St. Louis, it's freezing. And the University of Miami sent me one. And they had this beautiful campus with like palm trees and it was sunny. And I was like, if I could live four years anywhere for college, why would I not want to live in Miami? It just seemed like, you know, a no-brainer for me. So I went to University of Miami, loved it, never wanted to leave. And then I had no idea. I was one of those, you know, 
what's your major business management you know i did track and field uh, i was just trying to enjoy college and have the best college experience and then and then when i graduated you know i had a business degree which is fine but nothing specific at all i thought you know maybe i'll, I'll be a sports agent like cuz you know 21 that sounds cool so i worked for the dolphins I was like an intern in the 2005 season when Nick Saban was the coach. So I'd be on the sidelines following him around, you know, because they wouldn't have wireless headsets. They'd have cords. So I'd follow Nick Saban around to make sure like no one tripped over his cords. Um, Yeah. And I would work training camp. Um, I worked the summer before in New York. I had an internship at some like, finance company that I hated because I was stuck in an office you know it was nine to five take the train eat your salad on the stairs for like an hour go back like I hated it so I knew I wanted to do something a little more like interesting fun have a little more freedom with my time and one of my friends she worked at elite models her name was uh Hania and so two years before in the summer I did a an internship in Brazil. Sorry, I did a uh, I did a course in Brazil, a study abroad for like five weeks. So I was in Ipanema for three weeks in Rio, and then Bahia and Salvador for three weeks. And there was twelve of us. She was one of them, and she was like, "Oh, I work at this modeling agency. It's really cool. You know, it's very relaxed atmosphere. Everyone's really fun. Um, it's on South Beach." And she was like, "This." this other agency is hiring, you should speak with them. So I wanted to be a sports agent, I guess. And I was working for the Dolphins as, you know, in sports. And I was like, let me work for an agency, sports agency. So I um, I interviewed with this guy, Ron Gerard, who's still the director of Next. He hired me and I was his assistant. So I was his assistant I was the assistant to the director of the agency of Next Models on South Beach, which for me was nice because I wasn't stuck in like, I wasn't wearing a suit every day. I wasn't in some cubicle. I wasn't in New York. So I was in Miami in South Beach. And, you know, I quickly realized I couldn't work somewhere from nine to six every day. I hated it. I hated just that I had to be there at nine and I had to leave at five. Or I couldn't leave until five, even though everyone else was very cool and it was a relaxed environment. It was way better than the New York experience, but I still wanted that freedom of schedule. I wanted, I hated that I knew exactly how much I was going to make. I wanted something that there was no ceiling. You know, I liked the roller coaster and in real estate, that's a big factor. Like you have to be okay with having a couple months where you lose money or you don't make any money. And then, you know, another month you have a big hit and you have that kind of like, like you get, you know, it's. It's it's emotional because you're up and you're down. It's a roller coaster. So after working there for about six months, downstairs was a real estate company called SPI Realty. And I didn't know anything about being a broker or a real estate agent. I just knew all of the people in the office, they made their own schedule. And, you know, they all had like nice cars, nice watches. So it was like they definitely make cash. And working at the agency, I realized one of the biggest problems that the agents had was they'd always have these girls and these guys coming in town but finding them places was very difficult you know they have to book them they have to get their visas they have to manage their schedules their castings but finding them apartments and places to live was just an extra burden so i was like okay i'll get my license i'll become a real estate agent and i can help all my college friends and i can help the models photographers Um, and then like the bookers and people in that industry. So after, you know, working at next models, it was a really good experience. Um, but after about, I think nine months, I gave them my notice after I got my real estate license. And then I started, uh, as a real estate agent right downstairs and they would send me all the models, um, whoever, whoever needed an apartment, all my college friends would kind of send me people because, you know, I just graduated from UM, so I had a lot of friends still in college. And that's what I did for the first couple of years. I mean, I had like a, I had a Dodge Dakota pickup truck. Um, I lived with three of my college friends. 
think my rent was like 600 bucks and like skateboarding around to showings because like gas was expensive so i I had a pickup truck in miami yeah i mean i had a in college i couldn't afford a nice car so i got like a pickup truck and i painted it i got like big rims for college i quickly (laughs) realized when you're helping a lot of your friends get rentals having a pickup truck is the worst thing ever because you get them a place and then they're like hey can i borrow your car i need to move or will you help me helping people move is terrible so i come from very uh humble beginnings in the real estate world skateboarding around to showings getting my friends rentals and then helping them move in my pickup truck um but yeah that was my basically my feeder market was all my university of miami friends um everyone in that kind of modeling world because no one was no one did that and no one wants to do that these are month-to-month rentals six-month rentals you know very difficult stuff but what i did is i would just create model apartments so i would rent a place for two or three months um pack them with with uh beds and then i would just fill them up oh that's yeah i mean i was doing whatever i could to just kind of pay rent at first but uh you know that kind of led to my first sale ever was uh, one of the top male models back in the day, Trevon Hill. And uh, he bought, it was a studio at the Mirador right down the street for 214000 And I was so happy because it was my first sale. And my commission was like five grand. I could, pay, I could pay rent for four months. So, you know, I started out like that. And then pretty soon I became like the rental guy. So every model it turned to photographer to promoter bottle girl bartender college student you know i was you know for if you were like under 30 and living on south beach and needed a place i was kind of like the guy but you know obviously that doesn't pay that well um it's enough to it's enough to pay your bills which at 21 22 23 i just wanted to have freedom of schedule and I wanted to, you know, be able to, you know, pay my rent, pay my bills. So it kind of started that way. Over the years, I would buy these condos. So now I have six condos that I rent to the agencies still. Um, and then, you know, I still take care of a lot of the top people in, in, in that industry for sales, rentals. Um, yeah, but that's that's how I that's how I started. When you did the model the models you were like renting and using them as models to show them and then you would rent what you rented or what did you mean by models just to make sure we're no, no, no. so the models at the agency so like next models for example the one that i worked at they would have let's say three girls come in town from brazil and the girls were coming for four months and getting a four-month rental is very difficult because there's a lot of restrictions with the different buildings so you know like most buildings are six month minimum they have to screen every single person you know, these girls have no credit. They have no. Are you um, rent Yeah. So what I would do is I would rent them and then kind of upcharge them slightly to make it worth it. But the headaches involved in that were a nightmare because neighbors want to know who's coming and going. And I said four months. These girls would come for a month sometimes, you know, three weeks sometimes. So but there was enough of a little bit of a margin there where I could, you know, make a couple hundred bucks, make a thousand bucks. And I would just, you know, facilitate a way to house them. And then over the years, I kind of learned what buildings were cool with it, what buildings weren't. And then, you know, I started buying in specific buildings. I got on the board. So now they don't have any issues. And I think there's probably, (laughs) right now, probably 26 uh, girls with agencies that live in, in properties that I own on South Beach. Well, you have a pattern, you find a need or a problem and you leverage it for an opportunity for everybody. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's one of the easiest ways to look at businesses. You see what is, where's the issue and how can I fix it? And if you can fix it or help, then you have immediately created a value for, for yourself and for other people. When you did this, not many people were doing it. And I say this because this is going to transition into the mindset that created your success today. Not yeah. many people are doing it. And there was some risk associated. And in your early 20s, 
clearly you like adrenaline and roller coasters, but nonetheless, a lot of people, you also like to pay your bills. A lot of people wouldn't have taken that risk or even thought of that. They were just said, not an option. They'd done something traditional, gotten frustrated and perhaps quit. What kept you from going down the path most people do? Well, it was one of those things that no one wants to do that. The idea of doing that now, finding people rentals for one, two, three, four months is like, it gives yeah. me a headache just thinking about it. But I mean, it was kind of like survivor instinct, but it was also, um, you, like Marco, for example. I know Marco because I got him his apartment when he was a promoter. And when he started, in his, he was a model and a promoter. So, you know, I just had that mindset of, I'm going to get every single person I can in an apartment. And everyone knows someone. So everyone's going to refer and then just, you know, just keep going down that of do a great job for one person. The next person will recommend you every like the first and the 15th of every month. I remember I would go to the liquor store and I would buy everyone like a bottle of vodka, a bottle of tequila, a bottle of something. You know, I was like Santa Claus driving around. Where are you at? Here's your moving present. Here's your moving present. The volume that I did was crazy because you had to, you had to do so many. I mean, the rents were a lot less than too. So to, you know, you make 700 bucks here, you make 500 bucks on this one, you know? So it was, it was really like a, a survive survival thing. You just kind of, if I wanted to do that, I had to do it. But that being said, I mean, I had massive amounts of credit card debt. Um, That's why, of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, at one point I was like, what am I, I needed a secondary thing. I had never worked in like a restaurant or like been a bartender. I had done some like promotion stuff at nightclubs, but I didn't want to go down that path because the hours are, are too tricky. You got to be out to like three or four in the morning. So at one point I was thinking about being a, a golf caddy at Fisher Island. I was in, I had like $65,000 of credit card debt. I was mid twenties. And I remember I sold two houses, one for 1.55. It was my first waterfront sale, 3166 North Bay. That was uh, July 2010. And then I sold another house on South Beach for like 700 grand, like a dry lot house. And those two sales wiped out all my credit card debt. I remember it was the best feeling ever. But, you know, I paid all my minimums. My credit to this day is like 820 because, you know, you got to pay that. You owe them 10 grand. The minimum payment's like 400 bucks. You just do what you can to make the minimum payments. Um, you know, I had roommates. You'll kill it. If people know the know Miami, I was living at the Flamingo for three years with roommates. Not the most glamorous building, but you know, I was having fun too. You know, the cool thing about that is, I was I'm from St. Louis. I moved here not knowing one person in the state of Florida. I had a friend from from high school that ended up going to University of Miami as well. So I knew I had one person I knew, and then after college. You know, my family lives in New York, St. Louis, uh, Philly, Chicago. So no one lived in Florida. So building my network was was a, a real challenge. You know, I had my University of Miami friends to kind of rely on, but a lot of them, you know, they leave after college. They don't really move to Miami Beach. We had a few um, that had some crossover. But, you know, building up that network with the rentals, it helped me. Because when I started the market was terrible. No one was buying anything. And yeah. so rentals was kind of the only way I could do it. Um, and then 2007, 2008, what year was it? Yeah. So I graduated in 2006. I traveled for the summer. I worked at next 2006 and seven. And then I started really in like 2008. But was- by the time I started, I remember one of the first days at the office uh, the broker of SBI Realty, Diane Lieberman, we had these office meetings every Tuesday and she held up, I think, the New York Times. And it was basically saying the world is, the financial world is collapsing. Um, it was so, there were so many foreclosures and short sales. Foreclosures were good. Short sales were terrible because you'd have to, you'd put an offer in and you'd have to wait maybe six months for the bank to even look at it. So it was, it was an environment that was terrible for real estate agents 
And as a result, a lot of people got out um, of the business. But people always need places to live. So, you know, I tell I tell people on my team if if they're struggling or a couple sales fall through for them, you know, don't be too prideful to do some rentals or some smaller sales. You know, a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars. You know, five hundred bucks is five hundred bucks. You built an influence, you built a network. I mean, you had uh, twenty one. You were giving moving gifts and and. Well, if you make uh, if you make seven hundred bucks, you can buy them a twenty five dollar bottle of, I think it was Patron in the days or whatever it was, and you know it means something because, you know, I would always ask people, oh, what did your realtor get you as a gift? And a lot of times they would say if, if they weren't my clients, and they'd be like nothing, and I'd be like, oh really? And then even that little <laughs> subtle thing, I, I'm not saying anything bad about the realtor, but I'm like, yeah, I always get a moving present. You have to, you know. So those little things too. I mean, who doesn't want a, a bottle of, you know, tequila or a, a, a gift certificate to their favorite restaurant or something? Just any gesture, gesture, you know. Okay, so that took off, and then that probably became kind of a okay. This is great; it paid the bills, but now let's move on. How did you transition into selling more? Was that a challenge, or did that oh, just it was, kind of- yeah? It was it was a big challenge because because I. I did so well as the rental guy that I became the rental guy. So, you know, I would get hit up for years. Hey, I heard you're the rental expert. Uh, And I started to hear that a bunch and I was like, this isn't good. So I had to kind of change that. Um, So as I, you know, I started making more and doing more sales, I hired, I had to hire someone. So I remember I hired this, this girl, this new agent, and I basically had to, all my clients who would say that to me, I'd be like, yeah, I got you. This girl on my team, she handles all my rentals. So I'm going to introduce you to her right now. So then it kind of gives a different perspective in their mind. Oh yeah, he can handle the rentals, but he's more of a sales guy. So then, you know, you do it organically. Whenever you do sales, you push it out. Social media, you advertise sales more than rentals. You know, people need to see what you're doing. And for a long time, people saw me doing all the rentals and it led to an incredible rental business, but obviously the, the, you know, the money you make on rentals compared to sales. So that transition, it, it took, a it took us several years to kind of do that. Also, it helps just with, you know, me starting so young when I was 21, 22, you know, an older person wasn't necessarily going to trust me with a sale when I'm skateboarding around and I'm in my, you know, Dodge Dakota and I live at the Flamingo and I had never, never owned a property. So, you know, as you get older and you get more experience and, you know, it helps when I bought my place, I had gone through the process, my first place that I bought in 2011, you know, and then, so you can kind of say, Oh yeah, the mortgage broker that I use for my business, you know, and then as you, you get older, your clients get older. So, you know, there's a couple of buildings that I would do a ton of sales in because of that sweet spot of like four to $700,000 at the time that a lot of my peers and people my age who trusted me and were my friends and I rented to them before, they would automatically use me for their sales. So that's cool with real estate. You kind of grow up with your clients, you know, as, as they make money, they remember, you know, you did three rentals for them and then they're ready to buy a place for a million bucks. And, you know, so you kind of evolve with them, but. Well, now you've evolved into representing some developments and we were talking about one earlier so how, so we're talking like you break in, do what you've got to do, Reynolds, especially in 2008. I mean, did yeah, you see yeah. the movie, the short about that? Great movie. Love that movie. Yeah. Right? It was like really. I wish I, I wish I had more cash then. I would have bought some stuff, you know. <laughs> it's a great movie. So. Yeah. When I bought my place, I had a very simple formula. I was renting at the Flamingo. It was 2010. I looked at how much the rentals were because I knew I knew the rental market. I did the math. If I put 20% down, I buy this place, taxes, maintenance, mortgage. I'm like, this will be cheaper than if I rent it. So that was a no-brainer for me. And you know, it's funny. I bought one place that I moved into. One of my good friends from college, he bought one in the same building. Another friend bought one because you know, people trust what you do yourself. And so um, yeah, right around that time. The numbers just made sense to buy instead of rent. And like I said, I wish I had more cash. 
could have had more property. Yeah, right, like, no kidding. Yeah. And then you did that. Then you transition into selling. You basically reposition yourself. And now you're in, you're also representing bigger, more beautiful homes and developments. So how did that work? Yeah, again, I mean, I'm, I just turned 39 um, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, over the years, you just kind of do yeah, more, more and more and bigger and bigger. One more year, Reed, until you're old. Yeah. I'm kidding. But, yeah. but keep going. So you're talking about your business, building developments, things getting bigger. Yeah, I mean, it's most, you do one deal for, I remember I went to a listing appointment once and it was for a house that was $12 million. And the seller, he said to me, um, how many houses have you sold over $10 million? I said, none. He asked me, he was like, well, what are you doing here? And, you know, I gave the only answer that I could, which was, listen, I know you're interviewing with a bunch of other brokers. They might have 10 listings, you know, right now that are in that range. But, you know, I'm going to give you full undivided attention. This is my biggest listing. So do you want the person who's got 10 of properties of yours that they're spending their time or, or you know, someone who's giving 100% of their time to it? The answer is very obvious now because I've seen it over the years. People want to work with people, busy people that are doing a lot of, you know, similar properties. And so, you know, like I said, I gave the best answer I could, but he had no interest and I left. Like but, that's what you guys say. All the guys who don't have experience, that's their line. Yeah, that's the only thing you can really say at that point. You know, the other option, which I kind of preach to, to our team now, is, you know, use us. You know, if you walk into to a listing appointment or you have someone introduce you to someone who wants to sell their house for 20 million bucks, if you walk in, you're not going to get it, you know, unless, you know, very tiny chance you're going to get it, but use us. You can say that, you know, we, you know, we sold 200 million last year. We sold this $20 million house here. We sold this. So I kind of preach that to the, the younger agents on our team that if you have a listing opportunity, you know, the good thing about being on a team is that our sales and our successes counts for yours. And if you need us to come and, you know, kind of have your back or co-list it, whatever it is, you know, we're there to help you. But at that point, I had never been on a team, so I didn't have that, uh, I didn't have that tool to use. But, um, you know, over the years, I, I just did, you know, you do a sale for 2 million, you do one for four, you do another one for five, six, seven, you know, one for 12. And then over the years, you kind of just build up this resume. You know, when someone sells a big property, it's obviously great because you sold a big property and you made a, you know, a nice commission, but it, it's double good because now you've added to your resume and you've gained yourself a better opportunity to get these other properties for, for sale and for rent, because people need to see that you have experience uh, with those, with those similar homes that they either want to buy or sell. So, you know, now we're working with some developers, um, specifically 2901 Indian Creek, super exciting project. It's in the Faina district. Right now, there's, there's only uh, two new construction projects in all of the Faina district. And wow. it's the Amon residence, which is already sold out and everyone knows. And then it's us. So, you know, with Shore Club and Satai and Bulgari, then you've got the addition, Faina. Fountain Blue, Soho House, that pocket is going to be so cool. It's our, it's transforming so much already. And we're right in the center of that. We're on 29th um, in Indian Creek. So it's really cool because we're facing west. You get the really nice sunset views. Uh, they've been fixing up the streets right in front of the, of the property, right in front of the canal. So we're really excited about that. We have 11 units, uh, one penthouse, two townhouses, and uh, some three bedrooms that are that are really cool. So we just launched sales, I think, two weeks ago. It's going wow. really well. So looking back at all of this and how you create all this success, I mean, from riding the skateboard in the Dodge Dakota yeah. to the premier listing, that's, that car. that's a development and doing, you know, a quarter of a billion in sales in a year. Mm. What do you wish you had known then that you know now or what would do you now tell the you on the skateboard with the dodge dakota very good question um 
the one thing I'm happy about is I'm kind of stuck with it. You know, like I said in the beginning, there's, you know, real estate's a lot of, uh, it, it's a roller coaster. There's good days, there's bad days, there's good years, there's bad years. And that's just part of it. Can't control the market, can't control the pricing. Um, but you can control, you know, that every day you get up, you do the same thing. You know, my clients know for, you know, some 10, 12, 15 years, they can call me and I'm going to get back to them right away. So I think, you know, showing up and being consistent is the thing that I'm probably uh, kind of most proud of that I've stuck with it. I didn't, you know, try to do something else. Um, what I wish I would have known. That's a really good question. I mean, I wish I would have known that houses on the water were going to be 20 million bucks and I would have bought them <laughs> like two. Uh but um, I think, uh, actually, I think I would have probably joined a team. I did it kind of my way and on my own. I had some help within the brokerage. But, you know, I think I could have escalated things a lot quicker if I would have learned from someone else and kind of got in front of a lot of those people um, that I didn't have access to because it wasn't, you know, my network. I really see, you know, the value of being with a brokerage and more specifically like being on a team where they already have these kind of relationships and you can, you can learn from, and you can get a lot more experience quicker. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of generate all of my business and experience personally by running around and meeting people and being social. And, um, I could have, I think I could have expedited that a lot more if I had, you know, had more of a mentor in the, in the business. So I would probably have, uh, you know, tweak that a little bit. Yeah, it's funny because you were looking for freedom. So that probably, as I can relate, that didn't sound good. But in Yeah, hindsight, yeah I, that's, a, that's a very good point. I, I think the reason I probably didn't is I want, the dream for me, I was living, uh, the fact that I could wake up and make my own schedule and I didn't have a boss. I didn't have anyone that I had to answer to. Um, no one could call me and be like, where, where, where are you? Other than, you know, the clients that I was working with. So you know, that was super appealing to me at the time. And I, I love that. But, uh, you know, that would have, yeah, that's probably what, what made me not do it, actually. Very good, uh, very good insight. Well, and it's funny because you don't realize you should have been on a team until it's kind of too late because you're kind of in that place where it's not going to make the impact that it would have. Yeah. Things you needed to know to be on a team to make the impact. You needed the struggles of not being on the team to make the difference of being on a team and leverage it and appreciate it. Yeah. So I don't know what the solution is to that, but just like, you know, as you think through, because yeah. we don't know what teams are like and not being on teams like and all that good stuff. Yeah, I would say to any new agent, unless you have, you know, you come from like an incredibly wealthy family or um, you have, you know, an incredible network or you're a little bit, you know, older when you start, I think it's a, it's a very valuable um, move that will help, you know, kind of expedite your career expedite the learning get you in front of those you know get you to a point where if you show up for a listing you know because you're lucky enough to meet someone and they have you over and you know if you're on a team you can kind of avoid those what the hell are you doing here you've never sold anything at, at this point or at this price point so you said get up and just i'm glad i got up and i did the same thing what are the same things consistency what are the same things you should do every day what's the stuff that's important especially looking back yeah, yeah. i mean you got it. Yeah, I think, you know, discipline in anything is is so important. You know, it's like the two words that really resonate with me the most in life are discipline and balance. You know, I need uh, to be my best. I really need to be disciplined, whether it's whether it's a diet, whether it's sleep, whether it's work. But, you know, within that, you need a certain amount of balance. You got to take time for yourself. Um, you got to you can't work all the time and not go to the gym. You can't, you know, so having, having a, a balance is really important. I think uh, it's also a good exercise for everyone to think about, you know, when you're 21 and you're starting, you know, what are your goals? And when I was 21, I just, I wanted to be able to pay my bills and make my own schedule. And then I got to a point after a year or two, I was like, I want to own my own place. And then I own my own place. And, you know, then you want like a bigger place. And then after that, you want, Instead of a condo, I want a house. Okay, you get a house. Then you want a house, but you want a house on the water. Then you want a boat because your neighbor's got a bigger boat. And I think, you know, it's good that 
we're all just continually motivated to try to get, you know, never be complacent and always kind of want better and better. But it's also super important to look back and say, when I was 21, my goal was to own a condo. And right now I do own a condo because I'm 20 and I'm 24. So let me just take a moment to appreciate this and, you know, know that this was my goal and, you know, enjoy that kind of moment and you get your first boat, enjoy your boat, get a bigger one later, but it's really, it's a cliche, but you know, that journey, it's really, it's really fun because you can't go back. And so, you know, when I'm thinking about me skateboarding around the listings and like picking up my buddies that I got them apartments for and like them making me help them move their like couches and TVs in my truck and me bringing them a bottle of Patron. It's like, you know, I look back on that fondly thinking about doing that work now. No, but it's, you know, enjoying that process and then, you know, keeping that balance. You got to keep yourself happy. Um, But yeah, you got to be the most important thing, I think, in any business and especially in real estate, when you make your own, when you make your own schedule, when you're your own boss, you got to be really disciplined, you know, because nobody's yelling at you if you sleep in. No one's yelling at you um, for anything. It's up. It's up to you to, you know, maintain that discipline within within your daily schedule so that you can achieve what your what your goals are. And that's uh, it's a daily challenge. But um, if you can be disciplined, maintain that balance, you know, key to success. Well, if you could narrow, you know, they say 20% of what you do is usually what usually is 20% of what you do is creating 80% of results. So you keep honing in. I thought about that a lot when I was a rental agent and I was doing 70 rentals a year and four sales. And I'd look at my numbers, you know, that was always in the back of my head. I was like, how do I transition out of that? Because of that 80-20 rule that you just mentioned. It's so true. Yeah, like 70% of, if you're doing 70 rentals, what if that's 70 sales? So when you look at your what you do in your life, what is it? Is it, you know, people might say, okay, like, I don't know, I've been quoting the Stutz documentary. Have you seen it on Netflix? That's it's the name of a documentary, Jonah, whose last name I don't remember, does this documentary with his therapist. It sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's cool because there's a quote and he says, I always tell people, you've got your life force. And you're like, like in any situation, just hone into your life force. With your life force, you've got your relationship with yourself. Mm. You got your relationship or your physical with your body. How do you take care of yourself, your stuff, your relationship with other people, and then your relationship with yourself? If you can hone it in, narrow it down to that, you can mm. figure it all out. <clears throat> it's fascinating. But I say all of that. The question I go back to though is, you know, there's the the stuff you just got to prioritize, like the journey. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Work out. Get balanced. And then there's the stuff you got to just do. You can do all of that, but if you don't show up for your goal, your goal is not going to happen in your yeah, work. It goes, by, it goes by quick. Yeah. 39. Fuck. It's crazy. And then, you know, pretty soon you're 45. And I mean, you know, God willing. Not 35. You're not 45 yet, Reed. But anyway. I know. I know. But yeah, I mean, the cool thing about real estate, one of the things that I really love too about being a real estate agent is the people you meet is incredible. I just talked to one of my best friends in the world 20 minutes ago. And he just had his second kid and I met him because he needed an apartment and I picked him up in my Dodge Dakota and, you know, we've been best friends ever since. 20 minutes before that, I talked to one of my best friends from Canada who's in Anguilla right now, who's a very successful developer. And I met him because, you know, I got his girlfriend an apartment way back in the day who's now his, his, his wife. But being a real estate agent, if you like people, is really awesome because you're constantly meeting new people all the time and uh, you can learn something from everyone. So whether it's a huge developer or whether it's, you know, the bartender at Ted's hideaway, you know, it's years you collect kind of these friendships and stories and experiences and the process is really, it's pretty, you know, it's one thing I really love about, about being involved as a, as a residential agent, you know, because people have to open up to you we're their therapist, we're their financial advisor, you know, they have to say, Hey, I'm moving because I'm having a kid. I'm getting divorced. My girlfriend's moving in, you know, I got a new job. So, you know, people really have to open up. And if you like people, um, it's a really rewarding job as well too. Cause you're, you're helping them make a little money. You're helping create the right home for them. So that's a big component too, that I've really liked. 
what's been the biggest challenge of growth as you've grown? Because going to a quarter of a billion a year is a big deal. You know, a lot of it, you know, I want to take all the credit for for the the success in the past, let's call it three, four, five years. But at the end of the day, like I said, I've always loved Miami. I think I never understood. It would piss me off that everyone would be like, oh, yeah, Miami's like Vegas. And no disrespect to Vegas. Vegas, I'm sure, is a great city. But to me, I'm like, the quality no, of life in Miami. I did live there for three years. It's, it's great. Yeah, and you know what? Vegas people might feel the same way as me but we were always like you know the new yorkers the la people they'd be like yeah you know miami's cool i like it for a weekend and i love telling new york people and now it doesn't sound so crazy but for years i'd be like oh yeah i like new york for the weekend and they're like what do you mean miami's like the place you go and i'm like not for me like we have the beach we have we can have cars we can drive to the grocery store you know we can we, you know, the weather's amazing. We can go, oh, LA, you have an ocean. Cool. Are you going to go swim in it? Do you go on like yachts on the weekend? No, we do. You know, so I've always been so passionately like ambassadoring Miami, um, you know, and kind of take the conversation full circle. So I, I would love to take a lot of credit for the fact that my business has, you know, done a lot better in the past four or five years and kind of taken it up to a quarter billion a year last year, but really what changed is I would show people places, places for months, six months, nine months. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get a house in Malibu. Maybe I'll get a place in New York. I'm not really sure. No one really needed to be here, you know? So it didn't, you know, a lot of these people, they would rent for December through March, but they didn't want to buy because it was a part-time place for them. And, you know, so there's two things that happened over COVID is enough people moved here. And once that happened, you know, people like to do what their friends do. So when that happened, the prices doubled. So, you know, if I was doing a hundred million dollars last year, the numbers, if, if that had been five years ago, I would have been doing a hundred million bucks, but now the prices have doubled. So my numbers are up. And then secondly, there's just a real demand now. People feel like they need to be here. People have moved their businesses down here. There's some great uh, companies and hedge funds. Everyone knows about Citadel and Starwoods. You know, they kind of have made Miami their home for brought offices, brought employees. So now there's people that, you know, really want to be here and uh, need to be here. And they're looking for not just a vacation home and not just a fun weekend getaway. So, you know, those two factors, I can't, you know, overstate how much it's changed Miami and you know for me since I've been doing it for so long all those renters all those people who were you know buying before they kind of converted into buyers or instead of a second home they got a real home so you know that really goes back to being consistent sticking with it and being their go-to's yeah it's like it's funny because you're all about freedom and you love the roller coaster and on the other mm -hmm. side of that, it's discipline and consistency. But that's because yeah, think, you know, anytime I'm in a, I think I look at anyone's, I've been everyone's relationship uh, counselor for years when I'm driving around and showing them places and, you know, they're opening up. But I think one of the most important things in any relationship is, you know, you have your rules, you have your boundaries, but within that, you feel free. So for, you know, everyone knows there's rules. Everyone knows that you can't cross this line. You can't do that. But when when someone has a certain amount of freedom every day and they feel supported, you know, that's when, that's when, you know, I think success happens and relationships work. So for me, it's, I'm disciplined with myself, but I have that balance and I give myself enough room to have a little fun, take a vacation do this. So I don't drive myself crazy and not too constricted with well, it gives you room to be you. Hundred percent. What's better you. than that? Being yourself. Yeah. And yeah. why do people love anybody other than because they're being themselves? Like, yeah. if, like usually, if you don't like somebody, it's because it's like they're not there. Like somebody else is there. Yeah, they're the acting. Chance to get meet the real person, you're like, oh. I love, I love when people are extreme versions of themselves, and like extreme, like I 
extreme might be the wrong word. I love when people are the full extent of their personalities, you know, because a lot of people are just holding back, you know, you want to make sure you don't offend anyone. You want to make sure that you fit in environments. But when you meet people that are just the full extent of their personalities, it's refreshing. And it kind of, it kind of frees up everyone else. You know, you you see this guy come in and everyone's wearing suits and this guy's got like the crate. It's like, Oh, he's him. That's, great you know it's nice to see and that's what you that's what you get to do as a real estate agent yeah yes and no i mean it's uh you're representing you know some very expensive properties so you know you definitely want to bring your own personality into it and that's what i love you know working with marco we make it super fun and enjoyable and you know when i'm walking a house with someone we're just looking at some properties between like 20 and 35 million dollars this morning and you know it's important to be able to speak to your clients honestly so you know i'll walk through and i'll say you know anything you can just let them know they're like i don't like this this is kind of weird so they feel like they're kind of with a friend who's being honest and that's you know that's part of it is is them being able to trust you and know that you're not just trying to make a commission you know i always have this fear that I sell something to someone and then they want to sell it a year later and it's worth, you know, way less. And, you know, you can never predict the market, but I can tell when I think some things are overpriced or I think that, you know, this quality isn't that good. And it's important, you know, to, to let them know that you're seeing what they're seeing. You're not just a yes man, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to keep a certain amount of like class and, you know, I've got my, disciplined rules with showings and things I, w- I would love to be covered in tattoos but i'm not going to do that just because you know well, if you get tired of them you can't get rid of them you can yeah i just i probably i'm too much of a wuss i probably uh regret them in certain uh, situations but i like the versatility of if you see me on halloween i'm always covered in tats that is <laughs> barker change the tats every halloween oh yeah yeah i love halloween but no i mean i try to keep it certain you know classy enough like here's another i think one of the most painful things for agents is as you get there the difficult conversations i like i mean i don't mind the difficult conversations because because Two things. One, I'm not a pushy agent. No one, you'll never, I've worked with thousands of people. You'll never meet anyone who was like, Reed was like very aggressive. Like you need to make an offer. You need to do this. I give people as much time as they want. If they want to look at places for a year, it's not my, you know, perfect. Uh, it's not, it's not ideal, but if they need that much time, they need that much time. It's a big decision. I get it. So I'm never going to be pushy with those kind of conversations. And then you know, I'm always honest with them. So I'm never really worried about any of the conversations because they know I'm going to tell them what I think. The buyers are the easy ones. The sellers are where the difficult conversations come in. How do you navigate those? Well, so with the sellers, it's very simple. I tell them, listen, your house, your condo, it is worth, you know, everyone has an idea of what it's worth. And you tell them this one line and it's true and they can do what they want with it. Your house is worth what someone is willing to pay for it on the market today. And if you're listed at $20 million and you've been up there for a month, it's and you think it's worth 19 or 20, it's not because someone would have paid for it. You know, it's worth what someone is willing to transact in that moment. And if they can't understand that or accept that, then they're not real sellers. And that's okay. No one's forcing them to sell anything, but you know, they need to be more realistic. At the end of the day, residential real estate is really fun because not only is it a math problem but it's also like an emotional thing someone walks in their family's there they're spending time there but you know and and that's a factor but it's also a math problem so you can't disagree with numbers and if they want to it is what it is i present the numbers and they can do what they want with it i love that here's what I, i love that thank you for that Here's what a lot of people would be thinking or saying, I think, is that's great, Reed, but I just want to keep the listing. Or that's great, Reed, but what if I make them mad? Or that's great, Reed, but yeah. what if 
I, trust me, I've worked with my share of people that are very difficult. It's more, it's not the difficult conversations, it's the personality because everyone's personality is different. And some people are a little more stubborn. Some people are a little more unrealistic. Some people have some anger issues, you know, and some people are super easygoing. But when you're dealing with someone um, who's a little difficult, you, wait, what was your question? Just that's great, Reed. But if I'm that honest with them, what if I lose the listing? What if they oh, say, oh. what if it? I like, would rather. Bad things. I would happen. rather not have a listing than have a an, an unrealistic seller because then I'm just wasting my time. I, I don't do want to show up with this. Yeah, yeah, it's and that's the thing. That's actually something that I wish I would have learned at a younger age, um, because I've wasted a lot of time with people that were completely unrealistic. And, you know, sometimes it's worth it. You do an open house, you meet someone else, you meet a buyer that way. It's an opportunity. Any listings is an opportunity to kind of like, you know, do some content, do some social media stuff, um, which can get you other clients and buyers and, you know, let everyone know that you're out there and you're working. But at the end of the day, unrealistic sellers, you don't want that listing if if it's not going to move. It's a, it's, a, it's a waste of your time. And so I'm okay with that at this at this stage of my career, um, I'm fine with I'm fine with losing realistic realistic because then it's just going to be someone else's problem. Exactly, I love the one liner. That was brilliant. All right, That's we're going to do the final three questions. We did these when you were on with Marco, but we're going to yeah. do them again because they could have changed, and it's fun. So, number okay. one, what's a book that we should read? What's a book that we should read? The Bible. Um, I don't know. Uh, Actually, that's a way underrated by a lot of people but what's another one yeah, I mean, I was, yeah i'm not overly religious so actually what's it? um right. a good book check it out um uh i believe it's called in the night or in the dark but basically um in I the dark in the dark i just that might be the wrong word but that's the idea but uh is it non no it's basically the idea of it is is it a series no it's like the whole concept of it is what you do in the dark when no one's looking what you what you do when no one's watching is you know ultimately what leads to your success you know whether if you're an athlete it's not you know, they see everything at the end, they see you make the shot or hit the home run, but it's, they don't see, you know, you shooting a thousand free throws in the gym, you know, by yourself, you know, and the idea of the whole book is, you know, what are you doing on your own time, the, doing the hard work that no one sees, that's ultimately what's going to lead to your success later. Because everyone sees the end product, you know, they see, oh, they sold 220 million, but you know, how much like grinding, how much paperwork, how many, I, I have this image of myself in my old office on 17th and Meridian. I would show places all day and then I would go to the office and I'd sit there and everyone would be gone. And I'd be there from eight o'clock till two in the morning, sometimes writing the contracts, responding to emails, looking for properties, sending it to people, you know, and everyone just sees, oh, 220 million bucks. Or they see the Instagram post that, you know, you make fun, but they don't see the, hours and hours and hours and hours yeah. of like work behind the scenes like right like back to consistency. Yeah. create that freedom and fun yeah. and they yeah. go you don't get what like it's like they work very well together yeah yeah I there's so many layers and so many variables we've got to find this book i can double check it's in the share with everybody but i love just your description in the dark What's it called? Oh no, that's a different one. I'm gonna get it for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna double check. It's on my Amazon. I gotta check. What's your greatest resource for your success? The greatest resource for my success. It's definitely my ability. First of all, I like people. I like interacting with people. I like meeting people. I like being social. I'm not an extroverted extrovert. I'm an introverted extrovert. So that's where it goes back to like in the dark. I need 
you know, like a cell phone, I need to charge up and I do that solo, whether I'm at home, you know, kind of relaxing, getting lost in some Netflix show for 20 minutes or for two hours or, you know, just getting a good night's sleep or just relaxing. But um, at once I'm all charged up, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I want to be around people. I want to meet people, hang out with people, talk to people, learn about people, learn from people, um, ask them questions. You know, I think it's super cool that there's billions of people and everyone's different, but then we have so many like of the same common denominators. So, you know, I think uh, one of the biggest resources of my success is definitely that I enjoy people and getting to know them. And, you know, as a result, very much like a chameleon. So I could talk to this person, this person, this person. And the reason I'm able to is because I'm genuinely interested in, uh, you know, their story. Yeah. Introverted, extrovert. I can relate to that. Yeah. Okay, but I never thought I could have spent so much time at home. I and love then, myself. Oh, this is awesome. You know, what were you going to say? I love myself. Yeah. I, I love being like, Hanging out with me? Hanging out with me alone? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I get a night where I don't have a dinner. I don't have a birthday. I don't have, like, anything to do. Right. Right. You know, my mom, I remember my mom saying, people who were bored are boring people, you know? Right. And I couldn't agree more. I'm never, I'm never bored. Right. I know. I, I love being on a plane. Oh, my God. Being on a plane is great. You have like people bringing you drinks and food, you got movies, Wi-Fi. You can't answer your phone. You're just having a good old time by yourself. But so like <laughs> after, you know, after a few days of hanging out with just me solo, I'm like, all right, let me go. Yeah, let me go hang out with some people. And, you know, so, but I've got friends who are extroverted extroverts. Oh my God. They hate being alone. You know, they want to. Yeah. They, they hate just being, they need, they get energy from other people. I get yeah. energy from my like, you know, solo time. And then I just recharge and then I super extroverted, but yeah. that's a big. Uh, I never heard that before. I love it. That resonated for me. Okay. Last question. Everybody listening, if they forget everything we say, which they should not, but if they do, and you want to make sure we remember one thing from you, what is it? Um, I'm a pretty, I have a good time, you know, it's nice selling, uh, it's nice selling a bunch of real estate and making a bunch of money and, you know, but at the end of the day, you got to do, you got to do something that you want to do and enjoy yourself because, you know, I like what I do and every day is, you know, it's exciting because I'm meeting new people. I'm having fun. You know, I maintain my discipline. Um, but I'd say find something that you really like doing and make sure to keep that balance in your life of you got to have fun. You got to travel, you know, or else you're not interesting. You know, if you just work all the time, it's not interesting. And if you just party all the time, no one respects you. So like keep that healthy balance, figure out what discipline works for you. Figure out, like, if you're an introverted introvert, if you're an extroverted introvert, like, you know, figure out what works for you because um, everyone's different and there's no wrong answers, you know. But when people are, when people are the full extent of their personality and, you know, they have a healthy balance that keeps them happy and they maintain that discipline and they're doing things that they enjoy and using their skill set to, you know, to make themselves happy and make some money. I mean, that's a lot of things, but. Uh, you know, you'll be, you'll be happy. And successful, which I guess that's part of all the things. Have some money. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, something else that there's that thing, oh, money can't buy happiness. Sure. Money alone can't buy happiness, but what money does is gives freedom. And it goes back to that original thing. I, I didn't want to work somewhere. I was had to be somewhere at a certain time. When you make a certain amount of money or you have a certain amount of success, that money gives you freedom to decide what you want to do every single day. You know, if you don't have X amount of money, you maybe can't go to that uh, that restaurant that you like every week. You can't go on that extra trip that you want to go to. You can't, you know, you, you're more tied to, to things that you don't want. So 
money can't buy you happiness, but money can buy you freedom. And that freedom is a form of happiness, at least for me. And I think a lot of people, when you can, you know, really decide how you want to spend your days. Especially when you like yourself and you're an introverted extrovert. Yeah. You got to figure out how to, everyone should love themselves. You know, you got to figure out what you love about yourself. If you don't, you know, my friend said, uh, my friend in college said, I'm not cocky. He goes, but I think I'm fantastic. But I think you're fantastic too. Everyone should think they're fantastic. But I'm not better than anyone. I just personally think I'm I'm great. So I like that. I like that. Uh, I love that. It's yeah. So true, right? Yeah. You, you're like better than anyone else. You're just independently awesome. You know? So true. It's yeah. so true. Reed, you're so much fun and you're so awesome. Go on. Go on. Reed Henry once said that he's international realty in the Miami Beach office. That's right. So good to see you today. Thank you for doing you that. You too. Stay out of trouble. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Powered by Breakthrough Luxury Coaching, this podcast was created for real estate agents across the world, coming together, sharing ideas that take their businesses to the next level. Breakthrough Luxury Coaching and Membership provide luxury real estate agents tools and resources that win more business, increase volume and sales prices, and create results. To learn more, go to getstarted.breakthroughluxury.com.